Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I will welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so uh, if this, hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Do me a favor, get your Bible out. Isaiah chapter 9 is what we're going to be looking at. We're starting a new series called He Shall Be Called, and uh, we are going to be unpacking that over the next four weeks uh, over our Christmas season, and uh, while you're uh, getting your your note sheet out, there's a note sheet in your bulletin, you can follow along with me, turning in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9, and uh, I want to draw a couple things to your attention, Uh, so do me a favor and get your bulletin out, and I just want to make you aware of two cards that are in your bulletin, and uh, card number one is uh, the card that it says, he shall be called on it, all right? And this is intended for you to be an invite card. And so I want you to use this. I know in your workplace, school place, roommates, or, or whatever, I want you to use this card. And I want you to invite some folks out to the next com- couple weeks, okay? So, so we are going to be in this series called He Shall Be Called. And I do want to bring to your attention on Christmas Eve, which is on a Sunday, uh, which is one of those rare su- uh, years that it falls on Sunday, we're all, what we're going to going to be doing is adding a fourth service at 1230. So we're going to have our three standard services and we're going to add a fourth service, a candle lighting service. And I really want you to use the card to invite some folks, especially friends of yours, people in the community, you know, that maybe don't have a church and uh, Christmas is a natural invite time. And so please use that card to invite people. The second card I want to bring to your attention is the one I talked about yet yeah, uh, last week about our vision at Coastal. And, and I'm not going to rehash the vision, uh, but I wanted to leave this in front of you. I'm going to leave it in front of you for the month of December, and I hope that you and your family are praying about uh, how you can be a part uh, of finishing uh, the build-out on the other side of the building or being a part of helping launch our campus uh, in Gloucester, and we're asking you to pray about giving over and above your regular gifts, and so uh, so take that home, be in prayer. If you weren't here last week, listen to the introduction of, my, of uh, me introducing Alistair, and I gave you guys a, a little bit uh, of insight into that. And then the third thing I want to draw to your attention is uh, two weeks ago, because um, I had a few texts and emails about this, people were nervous, uh, we actually started a security team, uh, and that's one of the things that we have been building towards over the last couple years, you know, we're in a new building, uh, it's, it's bigger than our old building, and so we want you and we want your children to be as safe as possible, and so, you know, one of the emails I received is like, what's going on? Well, there's nothing going on, there's nothing that's happened, and uh, but you'll see them hanging out, uh, especially around the children's area uh, this past year we installed a lot more cameras around here and so we just want you to be safe okay everybody good with that all right security first safety first so that we can hear the gospel and be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that's what they're doing and mostly um, protecting our children and so and that's what we want to do Uh, we always say we want this to be a safe environment for kids to hear the dangerous and life-changing message of Jesus Christ okay so so that's what that's what you're seeing going on around coastal and uh, I had uh, last year um, 
Um, yes, last week you got to hear Alistair Geddes preach, and, and uh, he's somebody that's had just a tremendous impact on my life and, and uh, taught me a lot about leadership and, 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 and how to organize a, a, a church so that the gospel can go forward. And, and so last year, um, the church that he planted in Zimbabwe, Africa, had its 40th anniversary, and he handed that church off to, to a, a pastor in Zimbabwe named Nguiza, and Nguiza then handed the church off to a pastor named Shingi, and, uh, and so I just really wanted to go be a part of his 40th anniversary there, and they celebrated his leadership, and so one of the things we did while we were in Zimbabwe is we took a day trip, and we, we went over and saw one of the seven natural wonders of the world, which is Victoria Falls, and so if you've never uh, had the opportunity to do that, man, it was amazing, and, and to stand on the other side of this waterfall, it, it, it's, it's just breathtaking. It's, it's almost, a, it's a waterfall that it, it just looks like if you look across, you're at eye level with the waterfall and it looks like, like a section of the earth just dropped away and this river that once flowed now drops down on this fall. And it's about a mile wide. At its peak, it falls at about 300 and some feet. And the water is just so loud that it, at moments it's, it's deafening. And you stand on the other side of this waterfall, and you're, you're just in awe of what you're seeing, right? And, and uh, I just wish I could give a better verbal definition, but I just wish you could lay eyes on it. But anytime you see something that is maybe one of the wonders of the world, especially the seven natural wonders of the world, uh, like, they're hard to describe, right? And some of y'all maybe have seen the Northern Lights or the Grand Canyon or whatever, and you, you have a similar experience. And in that moment, you, you kind of have this awe, and you have this smallness of... Man, I'm, I'm, you know, my existence is, is so small. And then yet in that, you, you, we remind ourselves that the God of the universe visited us. He wrapped himself in flesh. He, he became Emmanuel, God with us. And one of the things I, I love about the Christmas season for me is just, I, 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 it never loses its wonder that God became flesh. I just, I just ponder that over the season. And we sing these Christmas songs, and I'm, I, I just, I wrap my mind and my heart around the idea that God has not forgotten us, and he wrapped himself in flesh, and he died for us, that we have a pathway back to our creator and all that God originally in intended for us. And so I hope that this Christmas season for you has moments of wonder. And so we're going to be looking at Isaiah Chapter nine, verse six. This is a this is a a verse where the prophet Isaiah is promising an incredible future to the people of Israel as they are to look forward to their coming King and their coming Messiah. Now, if you're like, well, what's Isaiah 9, 6? Once I read it, you'll go, oh, because it's often on Christmas cards and you see it oftentimes. But I want you to understand that the, that the prophet is prophesying that this coming Messiah, that this verse is what the Messiah's rule and reign is going to look like. So check this out, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. 
So we're going to unpack this over the next couple of weeks. And we've called this series, He Shall Be Called. And Isaiah is letting us know that this, this is the rule. This is what the promised Messiah, this is what his, his rule shall, will look like. And so, and so the, this morning I want to unpack the very first name of this promised Messiah, what he shall be called. And he shall be called, according to Isaiah, Wonderful Counselor. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful, it, it does really, our, our English word doesn't even really grasp the word wonderful the way the Hebrews would have understood this word. The word, the word wonderful has with it the idea of, of supernatural. It's the closest Hebrew word to our English word for supernatural. And so as Isaiah is talking to the nation of Israel, he's saying your future Messiah is going to have this element of supernatural. In fact, if you know the ministry of Christ, right? One of the things I often talk about, why are there so many miracles around the ministry of Christ? Because it was authenticating Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus is the most, he is wonderful. There's a supernatural element. I'm going to apply this to the word counselor in a minute, but the idea of supernatural, the idea of, of wonderful is the idea that we are to be wowed by Jesus Christ. There should be a wow factor. I hope this morning, if, if you're a believer, that when you, when you sing these songs of praise and you sing these songs of worship, that there is a moment, there are moments when you're singing these truths to God and about God that you're wowed by what you're singing. That you're wowed by this oh holy night that, that, that God did not leave us in our sin and error opining, but rather he saved us. And so why are, how are we wowed by Jesus Christ? Well, we're wowed because he's Emmanuel. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. This wonderful counsel, this supernatural God is, is God with us. Matthew 1 in the declaration of the birth of Christ, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and she shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I hope that doesn't lose its wonder upon you. So easy. I mean, if you're like me, I mean, it seemed like every night this week I was out. We were running around like crazy, right? You're, you're buying gifts. There's people that you forget last minute. You know, there's, there's, there's baked goods. The list goes on and on and on, and it's easy to run and run and run. And how many of you are still stressed because you haven't gotten your Christmas decorations up? Be honest, right? Like, man, it's just like there's so much around the season, and it's easy to forget and to ponder Emmanuel, God with us on our, our tiny little planet in the vastness of the universe, God sent his son and he wrapped himself in, in flesh and he set foot on the earth. And for me, it leaves me with wonder beyond what my mind can even comprehend. And I hope that that pushes you this Christmas season to worship, to worship. The wow of Jesus is to worship. 
I always say part of worship is, is, is this indescribable piece that I call the wow factor. It's by worship, we sh- in our worship, we should be blown away by the incredible gift of grace and the incredible gift of mercy and the incredible gift of God's love and the incredible offer of forgiveness that God has offered us in Jesus Christ. We, we gather for corporate worship and we, we, we start to, to sing and we start to pray and we open the word of God. My hope, hope is that your anticipation is, man, we're, we're gonna come face to face with the living God and his words to us and his instruction to us, which highlights the gospel and, our, and the love of God and the forgiveness of God. And I hope that your mind and your heart focus on Christ and there's a sense of wow, what we're captured in worship. My hope is that your heart never grows cold to the gospel. The gospel means good news. If I was to define that at length, right, you would know that, that, that you got to know the bad news before you can know the good news. The problem is in most American presentations of the gospel, we're not highlighting nearly enough the bad news. So the good news doesn't stand in quite the contrast that it should. But the bad news is man is born in sin. And because we're born in sin, we're in rebellion against our creator. And we don't want the words of God. And we don't want the character of God. And we don't want to know the creator God of the universe. And therefore, what we deserve is the wrath of God, but the good news is that God sent his son to pay the penalty that our sin deserved, and he lived the perfect life, and that by grace through faith, the good works, the perfect works of Christ are granted to us by grace through faith, and this is the good news, and my fear is sometimes we use the word gospel so frequently that we forget how wonderful the message is. I hope if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you, ne- you never get bored with the gospel. You never get bored by considering how God's love has been given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. We get to reconnect with our creator through our savior, Jesus. This for me is wow. This is worship. This is the supernatural has come to earth. And indeed, Jesus Christ is wonderful. He's our wonderful, second thing is, he's our wonderful counselor. And so not only is the Messiah that's been promised through Isaiah wonderful, supernatural, but now we're gonna connect it to the word counsel. We have this supernatural, wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, who's also our counselor. The, the, the rule of the Messiah is that he will grant wonderful counsel. Now, let me unpack this for a minute. What does it mean to receive counsel? Have you ever considered that? What does it mean to receive counsel? What is it when you, where do you go when you need counsel? If you're you're like me, a lot of times I, I wait till I'm at my breaking point, right? Man, pressure, life kind of hit me upside the head, and all of a sudden, I, I, I mean, I need to seek counsel. I think it means that we're seeking some form of guidance or we're seeking some form of wisdom 
on a particular situation in our lives, which, which oftentimes requires a decision to be made. And sometimes it's like, man, I don't know which way to make this decision. I don't know what decision is best. And so sometimes in that moment, I'll, I'll seek counsel. One of, the, one of the reasons I bring Alistair in a, every so often is because I want you to know he's one of the people that I seek counsel from. When, I, when I'm not sure, man, who, who do I go to? Who do you go to? But more than an individual here on earth, church, we have the opportunity to get into the word of God and, and seek out Jesus, who is our wonderful counselor. Jesus and his word, or what we often call the word of God, offers to us wisdom beyond human comprehension. The Messiah that Isaiah is talking about, Jesus Christ, offers supernatural wisdom, if you will. And Isaiah is saying it is on the wisdom of God <coughs> that the kingdom of God will be built. And the Messiah is the wonderful counselor. So let me, let me you're like, man, you're making some leaps here. So let me, let me connect some dots. Ready? Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah, and he is the word made flesh. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. Now, Matthew 1 and Luke 2 offers us the Christmas story. That's what you'll most often hear read in churches. But in the Gospel of John, uh, the Gospel of John, he actually starts out with what I would call the theological take on Christmas, right? He, he's not so interested in angels, stars, and manger scenes as much as what's, what is God doing at Christmas. And so John chapter 1 is the, in, is the theological take on Christmas. John 1 in the beginning, John says, which, by the way, what does that resonate with? What's that sound like, right? In the beginning, what's, what's it sound like? You guys aren't awake yet. What does in the beginning sound like? Here we go. Genesis, thank you. Wake up. All right, here we go. It's in the beginning, right? And I think he's, the author is, is, is making us think about Genesis, which reminds us of the creation, right? And so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was what, church? God. By the way, if you're ever, there's a lot of false notions about Christ. Make no mistake about it. If you're a Christian and the Bible teaches Jesus was God, is God, and will always be God, he's eternal. And Jesus was a part of creation. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. <clears throat> when God speaks, there's light. When God speaks, there's life. When God speaks, there's goodness. And Christ embodies the very word of God. He's the word made flesh. And so if you want real direction in your life, it starts with knowing Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus could stand up and declare, man, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you want wonderful counsel, you got to know the wonderful counselor. 
You've got to die to your thoughts and the thoughts of the world and the thought and the ideas of the world. And you've got to trust in the eternal word of God found in Christ. Wonderful counsel in your life begins by knowing and worshiping Jesus, the son of God, who according to John is the word made flesh. So we know Jesus. How do we know Jesus then? We know Jesus by knowing his word. Listen, there's this really close connection between, man, I know Jesus and I know the word of God. And so God's word is what brings life and light to our lives. Yes, it's in knowing Christ and it's also knowing the word of God. Because his word brings life and light. That's what, that's what John just said. In him was life. And this life was the light of men. And this light shines in darkness. And the darkness will not overcome it. So here's a question I have for you this morning. Do you believe God's word is good for you? Think about that for a minute. Don't be too quick to answer yes, because I may go from preaching to meddling in a minute, right? Do you believe God's word is good for you? Do you believe that the word of God is light, which points the direction, and life-giving, which brings hope and brings purpose? Maybe you've never considered this question, but if Jesus is the wonderful counselor, meaning his words bring wisdom to our lives, then his words are good for us, and his words bring life to us, and his words bring light to the path that we walk on through life, and they point us in the right direction. Psalm 119 says this, verse 105, your word, the psalmist writes, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Some of you, there's someone sitting here this morning, man, you came in here this morning and you were confused about your life and you were confused about your direction and I would challenge you, I suspect that your intake of the word of God is minimal. It's minimal. The psalmist says, man, I'm, I know your word. And by the way, he's, he's talking about the Pentateuch. He's talking about the first five books of the Bible, right? Man, he meditated frequently on the word of God so that he knew where his life should go and the decisions he needed to make. Why? Because he believed God's word was good for him and it brought light to his path. Psalm 119, 68 says, you are good and you do good Teach me your statutes. Isn't that fascinating? See, the psalmist starts with the character and the doing of God. You're good. You do good. How do I know that? I know your word. I know your statutes. Teach them to me. So the word of God is practical. It, it's when we live according to the, the word of God and we believe it to be good and we believe it to be the light of our path and the life-giving. We live it by faith. We bend our lives to the Word of God. Why? Because Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Our problem is we rebel against the Word of God. The truth be told, we don't really want the Word of God. Sin, sin is rebelling against God's Word. 
Sin is looking at God's word and declaring with both either our mouths or our actions, hey, you know what? I know better than God's word. I can sit there and look at the Christmas card and say, yes, Jesus is our wonderful counselor. And yes, his word is life. And yes, his word is light. But then we read the particulars of the word of God and we say, you know what? I think I know better than God. I think I, I, get, I, think I can do things my own way. Or maybe we declare, you know what, and by disobedience, we declare that, that God's word is not true and he's not true to his promises. It's a great story in the Old Testament. You guys probably know it, that, that out of it was birthed for us this wonderful psalm, Psalm 51, but it's the story of David and Bathsheba. And, and so David is a, is a successful king in Israel. He... he he, he's put a lot of the enemies of the nation to rest, and he's enjoying kind of the, the lifestyle that, that, that his reign has afforded him. And so the, the text actually says it was the time of year where kings go out to war, and David decided to stay home. And he, he's at home, and, and he, he gazes out from his rooftop, and he sees an attractive woman that's not his wife, a, a woman by the name of Bathsheba. Well, he's the king. He has full authority. And so he, if you know the story, he has an affair with Bathsheba. And all the while, her husband, Uriah, is out to war. Well, word gets back to David that um, Bathsheba's pregnant, and he got her pregnant, right? So this isn't going to look good for the king of Israel. And so what he does is he devises this plan. He brings Uriah home, and he tells Uriah, hey, you know, go have a great night with your wife. He actually parties him up a little bit, you know, and Uriah, being a righteous man, he, he says, no, I, I'm not going to sleep with my wife while my friends are out to war. So he doesn't even have relationship with his wife that night. And so David realizes, man, this plan's not going quite the way I'd hoped. And so now he devises another plan. He devises a plan to get Uriah killed on the battlefront and look like, make it look like it's just part of the battle. And so that's what happens. And Uriah gets killed at war. And so King David is now, he, he's now an adulterer and a murderer. And so he marries Bathsheba. And it looks like this sin that where he's disobeyed the word of God has just kind of been covered up. And, and my suspicion is there's whispers in the kingdom, but all in all, no one really knows and David did a great job of covering it up until his friend and a local prophet by the name of Nathan shows up. And you can imagine the terror of Nathan approaching King David, right? Who he already knows, man, he's, his leadership is off kilter. And so he's already killed one man. If I approach him on a sin, it's quite like he's gonna kill me too if he wants to. And so he approaches him with a story. And he comes to King David and he, he approaches him with something he knows will be very sentimental to David because David used to be a shepherd. He was a shepherd boy. And so he says, listen, there's a guy in our kingdom and has this one little sheep, man. He loves this little sheep. He sleeps with this sheep. This sheep spends the day in his house. And next to him is a neighbor. And the neighbor's a rich man. And he's got flocks and flocks of sheep. And one day the rich man had some friends visit him. And instead of slaughtering one of his own sheep out of his own flock, he took the neighbor's one little precious sheep. And he slaughtered that one for the feast of his friends. And David's, uh, David's ire gets stirred up. And he's so angry. And he says, man, if as long as I live, this is going to be set right. Who is this neighbor with all these flocks of sheep? And Nathan, you know, probably you know, know the famous words. Nathan points a finger and says, it's you, David. 
thou art the man. And David gets convicted by his sin. And, of course, Nathan makes it clear to him what he's talking about, how he stole someone else's wife. Had that man put to death. And in that, David gets convicted of his sin. And here's what I love in Psalm 51, that even in the conviction of his sin, he throws himself on the word of God. Look at Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me against you and you only have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Listen, David doesn't whitewash it here. He doesn't say, man, I've sinned against Bathsheba. I've sinned against Uriah. I've sinned against the nation of Israel. He's done all of those. But he recognizes the, the, the main person that I have offended the, with my sin is the God of the universe. And so he throws himself on the word of God who says, you tell us you're a God that even for sinners, you're merciful. Isn't that great? And he runs to God with his sin and says, man, I acknowledge I've done what you said I shouldn't have done, and I'm throwing myself on your judgments. Verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me before. Behold, you delight in the truth, in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David throws himself on the word of God. So when we ignore God's word, church, we're sinning. We're acknowledging with our lives in those moments that God's word is not true. We're saying God's words are not good. We're declaring with our lives that God's word is not wonderful counsel. God's word is not supernatural wisdom on which we can build our lives, on which our lives will be on the path that is good and life-giving and purposeful. When we ignore the words of God, we're saying, God, I have a better plan. I know better than you. And so even in his sin, David throws himself on the word of God. And he says, your word is true and your word gives mercy and your word gives grace to sinners who acknowledge that they need mercy and grace. And David says, that's what I'm doing. Even in my sin, I'm taking you at your word. It's great news. God's character is unchanging. God's word is true. And David acknowledges his need for mercy. So let's take a minute this morning here and talk about how God's word then gives wonderful counsel. Here's, I've changed the sermon a little bit this morning, okay, because I was really going to meddle, but I'm not going to meddle quite as much, all right? So there's some verses on your handout that I'm not going to spend time on, but you can, you can read them. This past weekend, Friday night, we got together with some friends in the church, and we, we played this game called Speak Out. Have you, you all ever played that game? How many of you all know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Okay, so a couple of you. Okay, so I'm going to try to describe it for you. In the game Speak Out, they, each player in the game gets this plastic thing. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. It looks like something you'd use in a dentist office, okay? And you put it in your mouth and it causes your lips to roll up. And so all you see is each individual's teeth, okay? So my son looked like Skeletor, all right? It was terrifying. 
and, and then you get cards that you have to read the sentences, okay? And because your lips are curled up, you can't really read. It's almost unintelligible, and you have to try to guess what the person is reading, and it's super funny, and it's super embarrassing. You only want to do, you don't want to do this when cell phones are around, okay? Because somebody's going to video you and throw it on Facebook. And... Um, <clears throat> And so super funny, and the whole time you're doing it, you're kind of drooling over yourself, right? Isn't that a, sounds like a great game, doesn't it? And uh, they assured us they had washed these plastic things. I don't know if that was true or not, but uh, apparently you're supposed to wash them. But in this, the, and the way this works is that, that it's unclear because you can't use your mouth the way you normally do. So the words that the person is speaking is unclear, and it's just very funny. You know, it's the opposite of the Word of God, I think a lot of times we think God's word is kind of muddied for us. And I say the problem with the word of God is in the areas where we really want to disobey. God's word is usually very clear. Our problem is we're uncomfortable with the clearness of God's word. Yes, I know I can be. That's a little too clear. And so God's word is, it brings us wonderful counsel. Our issue is we don't want to trust in God's word. We don't want to put our faith in God's word as good and as life-giving. And the reason is oftentimes God's word is telling us something that is the opposite of the counsel of the rest of the world. You know, one of the, you know, I, know, I know I get loud in here and I, I start stomping around and I get passionate, but one of the reasons I do that is I feel like, I feel like this is my moment of the week where I, I'm running against the rest of the world in your hearts and in your minds. Because the rest of the world is throwing lies at us. And I have this moment where we open the word of God and it's true and it's trustworthy and it's good and it's light and it's life-giving and it's wonderful counsel because it comes from the wonderful counselor. And so I get passionate because I want you to hear the word of God. I want it to seep into your mind. I want it to seep into your heart. I want it to seep into your thinking so that you will have life and you'll have goodness and you'll have hope and you'll have purpose because the rest of the world is telling you the opposite. And so Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you guys know this, right? This is about leaning into the word of God as good and true and life-giving. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. How are you going to know the ways of God? How are you going to know the word of God? How are you going to not lean on your own understanding unless you're in the word of God? On a regular basis. I'm going to tell you something. If you're here this morning and you're a believer and you're, you say, yes, I'm a Christian, most of your life is going to be lived in where you feel like you're just running against the culture. And I feel so different than everybody else. You are different than everybody else because you're leaning into the word of God as wonderful counsel. As opposed to the counsel of man. His word is good for you. He makes our path straight when we hear the word and we bend our life to an obedience to the word as worship to our wonderful counselor. The word of God tells us we're saved by grace alone. Listen, I want you to hear this this morning. 
Like this is one of the things, if you're a regular in church life, like we forget this. You're saved by grace alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of work so that nobody can boast about it. Listen, Christmas time, here's what happens around Christmas time. Like we start showing up to church as if somehow we're earning the favor of God. Well, it's Christmas time. I have to go to church, and I'm glad you're here. And if that's why you came, fantastic. I'm glad you're here. But listen, you have to know that going to church is not a checkbox that somehow earns you eternal life. And trying to be religious enough or good enough is exhausting. Because here's the deal. The Bible doesn't say in order to have eternal life, you have to be good. The Bible says in order to have eternal life, you have to be perfect. You need to be perfect. God is not taking us to a place where sin is going to be a part of it. He's taking us to a place where there will be no sin and there will be no brokenness and there will be no rebellion. And it's going to be amazing. And I, I can't wait until my faith becomes sight. But listen, it's not earned by you being religious. It has been earned for you. Maybe you've bought into the lie that the favor of God rests in your doing rather than resting in Christ's done. And it's exhausting to run through life attempting to earn God's favor, attempting to earn right standing. Salvation cannot be earned by your works. It has been earned for you. The perfect works of Christ are credited to you by grace alone, through faith alone. When you repent of your sin, you acknowledge like David in Psalm 51, hey, you know what, God, it is against you and you only I have sinned that God in his grace credits the works of Jesus Christ to your spiritual bank account, if you will, so that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Romans 10 says that you need to confess Jesus is Lord. And when you do that, his righteousness becomes yours. Isn't that amazing? Man, I hope that that never loses its wonder with you. The word of God says that you're saved by grace. The word of God gives me hope when I'm struggling, right? With discouragement, I look to the word of God. Maybe you're here this morning, you're struggling with discouragement. Listen, the word of God gives wonderful counsel. Psalm 42, 11. I love Psalm 42, 11. I I repeat this to my heart and my mind frequently. The psalmist is asking himself why he's so discouraged. The psalmist asks, why so downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Why, why are you in turmoil? Why is there turmoil within me? Have you ever had that? I've had that. I have that frequently. Man, what's, what's going on? And so what does the psalmist do? The psalmist begins to preach the word of God to his own heart and mind. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What is the psalmist doing? He's he's thinking about the word of God. He's struggling with discouragement. He's struggling with anxiety. He's struggling by being downcast. And so oftentimes for me, when that's going on, I dig into my heart and into my mind and I say, man, what am I believing that's not true that's causing me and my heart and my soul to be downcast? I've told you this before. One of the things that I, this is a real struggle for me. 
that when I go on a vacation, when I go on a nice vacation, I begin to struggle with covetousness. I'll get to a beach house and I'll be like, man, I wish I had one of these. Has that ever happened to you? And suddenly I'm in the middle of this great vacation that God has blessed me with. I'm enjoying all the things that everybody else gets to enjoy. And I start wrestling with, and this ain't fair. Why didn't God give me one of these? What is that? I'm coveting. Sometimes my discouragement, especially this time of year, is looking around at stuff, thinking somehow that person's stuff's going to make me happy, and therefore I'm saying, God, in your sovereignty, you didn't give me that, and so I'm kind of frustrated with you because they have more than me, and I should have that. And suddenly I'm coveting, and suddenly my soul becomes downcast because I am ultimately not content with what God has given me. Yes? That happens to me. Why so downcast on my soul? And so I have to begin to look inside and say, what word of God, what promise of God am I choosing not to believe? Some of you right now, your marriage, man, you're struggling in your marriage. And the reason is you're looking to your spouse to bring you happiness instead of understanding God brought you your spouse to bring you holiness. Your spouse isn't there necessarily to make you happy. I hope you have a happy marriage, but your spouse is there to mold you more and more into the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. And so you're at Christmas season, and man, you guys are struggling, and it's because you've forgotten. Man, your spouse is challenging you to be more like Christ. Maybe you're struggling to Christmas season because... There's unforgiveness in your heart and you're forgetting that God is in control and justice will be meted out in his timing. So you know what? I can let that person off the hook because God is gonna take care of justice and so I can forgive them and I can turn them over to God to take care of justice. And I forgot, man, God's word is wonderful counsel to me. Why so downcast on my soul? Usually it's, there's a promise of God there's a characteristic of God that I am not believing. And I need to remind myself, I've got to preach the wonderful counsel of the word of God to my own heart. Why so downcast on my soul? It's usually the word of God I'm ignoring. Forgetting that God's word is wonderful counsel or God's word get, restores my life. That God's word gives purpose to me. I wish I had time to meddle this morning. I'm punting some of the meddling, but I, I, I've, I've put some verses in your handout that I would really encourage you to read later because I think these are the verses that smack against our culture. That I have to ask the question, man, as you read the verses in your notes, you, do you really believe God's word is wonderful counsel? Do you really believe God's word is life-giving? The Bible's got... The Bible is not unclear in regards to money. Malachi 3, 6 through 10, very clear about how to find life through being generous with your financial resources. The Bible is not unclear on sexual purity. 1 Thessalonians 4, and how we have life and hope and how we deal with Sexual purity. The Bible's not unclear on forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32. You know, I was teasing uh, Alistair on Monday night. Alistair, after 
uh, preaching here on Sunday, he met with our elders, and we had a great dinner together, and I was teasing Alistair uh, that in each service responded a little bit differently to him, but in the th- he finished most services about the same, and he finished with, um, you know, he's a big guy, six three, six, four. He finished with most services standing up and raising his hands. And he goes, I'm 71 years old and I just want to love Jesus more. Right. And, and each service kind of got excited. The third service, they, you know, and they were clapping and like, yes, I just want to love Jesus more. And I told him, I said, that's the easy part. I got to go now tell them what it means to love Jesus more. Right. We, I got to put the nuts and bolts around that. That was the fun part. You get to, he goes, that's what I get to do. You, that's your job, pastor. You know, and so I was teasing him because I said, yeah, it's, it's nebulous. What does it mean to love Jesus more? You know, and that's to know the word of God and to worship Christ by trusting the word of God. And by the way, listen, I didn't, I didn't have any conversation last week with Alistair about our fundraising card, right? So the 71-year-old who stood up and said, man, I just want to love Jesus more. Did you notice how quick he was to be generous with a church he doesn't even attend? Why? Because he really does know Jesus. And he knows the Jesus that provides. And he knows the Jesus that calls us to be generous. Because he doesn't know a separate Jesus that doesn't know anything about wanting more of his word. And here's why. Because the word of God is good. And the word of God is life-giving. And the word of God is hope-giving. The word of God is wonderful counsel. You want to know why? It comes from our wonderful counselor. To know Jesus is to know his word. And I want to encourage you this morning to know Christ. And may you know the incredible blessing of submitting your life to his word. His word is good. His word is life. Because Jesus, the promised Messiah of Isaiah 9, is the wonderful counselor. May you worship him this Christmas season. May you feast regularly, daily, in the word of God, that you may know God's son, our wonderful counselor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the reminder of your word. Thank you for the reminder of the promised Messiah, our wonderful counselor, the word made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. It's this time of year that we pause, we peer into a manger, and we wonder how much God has loved us in Christ. We give you thanksgiving and we give you praise. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.